Your next promotion is just the beginning, and this podcast shows you how to get there. Welcome to episode number 183. Today's interview is off the charts. You know how when somebody tells you something over and over again, and then another person tells you, and finally you're able to hear the advice as if it's for the first time? (laughs) That's what I love the most about today's interview with ex-CEO and now authenticity coach, Erin. She is absolutely phenomenal. And everything that she did in her career to become a CEO, this was not the career path that she set out to take on, is exactly what I teach. And when I was interviewing her, I was like, yes, 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 exactly. That's what I think. That's what I teach. It's so amazing to hear it from her firsthand and how she created this dream opportunity for herself that wasn't a dream at first, but she turned it into that. And now she is helping leaders all over the world step into their authenticity. You are going to absolutely love this conversation. Let's get started. Welcome to Women Changing Leadership. I am your host, Stacey Mayer, and I teach you how to get promoted, get paid, and bring your whole self to the leadership table. I am on a mission to change organizations from the C-suite out because women are the new face of leadership, and we are doing it on our terms. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Women Changing Leadership. I'm your host, Stacey Mayer, and super excited, as always, to be here with you again this week. So I have a very new and dear friend on today's podcast, and it's amazing how quickly that can happen, where you meet somebody even virtually online, and you just click, you just build that trust right away. And I can tell you right now, the reason that Aaron and I were able to build that trust so quickly was because of our authenticity. And I think both of us saw that in the other person, and we acknowledge that. And then Aaron is also a podcast host of an amazing podcast that we'll talk about today. And she invited me to be on her podcast. And I was like, you have to be on my podcast. And then we're like, let's just talk for hours. <laughs> and, and so that's why I'm having her back on again today, because it's just really incredible, the work and the journey that Erin has been on to find her own authenticity and now to be able to give that to so many other leaders and to really bring that out in other people is such a gift. So I'm honored to have her on today. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for being here. I'm going to start out with giving Erin a formal introduction and then we'll dig right in. Erin Hatsikatis is a former CEO turned professional pot on a mission to eradicate the BS that plagues the corporate workplace. She founded Be Authentic, Inc., Erin's a keynote TEDx speaker, best-selling author of You Do You-ish, co-host of the podcast Because Work Doesn't Have to Suck, and a business coach. Thank you again, Erin. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to see you again. Yes. Now we we might have a guess to the answer to the first question just from the introduction, but what do you feel like have been your secrets to success throughout your career? Everything I've dedicated the second half to is authenticity. And I talk about authenticity though differently than everybody else. What I realized is not a permission, it's a power. 
it's not something for you. It's actually something you do for other people. And it's actually sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously done purposely. And yeah, I mean, I didn't have this epiphany right away. I, 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 you know, I always, if if somebody would have called me authentic, I wouldn't have been surprised, but it wasn't until I decided to retire from my, my corporate position when 75% of the messages kept saying, we'll miss your authentic leadership. And it was kind of this moment because I'll be honest, you know, I had great, great success. My career was soaring. I was CEO of a, you know, a nine figure company turned it around, you know, massive turnaround, but I always Stacy kind of felt like, when am I going to be found out? I would have these feelings or, or, or like, when's my luck going to run out or when am I going to be found out? And it wasn't your traditional imposter syndrome. Like I got the memo on that, like 10, 15 years ago, like, you, you, you know, you lean over the edge a little bit, you do things you don't completely know what you're doing, et cetera. But it was more that I felt like I wasn't sacrificing as much as my peers. And, you know, I could literally look to my left and right because we would get together on a monthly basis for our monthly operating reviews and quarterly basis, quarterly business reviews, right? We were always sort of seated at the table in, in real life for the most part. And I would see so many of my peers, you know, jumping out of plane almost every week to meet with customers or clients. I would see, you know, I had a good friend that moved her family three times in five years. I, you know, I saw vacations canceled. I saw, you know, weekends given up. And don't get me wrong, I I worked hard. Uh, I did travel. Like I did some of those things, but I, I sort of refused to you know, sort of go over the edge. And and so I was always like, okay, we've had massive success taking this company from kind of the shithole to like tripling earnings, you know, play engagement. Everybody was like, you know, really high culture, but I was like, it's, it's going to run out because I'm just not sacrificing as much as everybody else. And so when I, when I decided to retire and do something else and I, and I got those messages, here's what hit me. I wasn't going to get found out. I realized I was actually playing a different game. Yes. Oh my God. Playing a totally different game. Yes. And you know what I love about this is that I I find this all the time in women's leadership with this catch 22, right? Obviously, you know, speak up more. And then what's the other side of that? If you speak up more, you're too aggressive. And in your case, it's like, find that work-life balance, you know, make sure that you have boundaries, make sure that you give yourself space for strategic thinking that you're not just hopping on a plane. You're not just attending meetings just because you're supposed to, and you're able to give yourself that space to think, which has led to your success at that point. But then you do that. And then what does that bring up inside that that part of you? Like, what's that going to give you? I had a client recently whose husband was like, you know, you don't work anymore. And she's like, she's like, at first it stung, you know, and she was mm. like, because he's right. Like, I'm so much happier. <laughs> like, I feel like I don't quote unquote work. Right. And this is ever since she got a both a promotion, but then also into the right role, working with the team, working in her strengths, work, doing the work that she really enjoys doing. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't have that stress factor that she had before that her peers have so much of. And she's like, I let it sting. And then I, I realized I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm not because I'm playing yeah. a different game. 
Yeah, exactly. And and I love what you say about it, it gave me the space. So I think that's one side of the coin, right? Mm-hmm. I think the other is that I I replaced that jumping on a plane all the time, that that hardcore executive leadership. I replaced it though with mm-hmm. throwing my ego aside and being much more authentic. And <sighs> you know, it was tangible when I thought back to it. I we got the best talent was was coming into the organization because word was on the street. And and by the way, our parent company was fifty thousand people. So, you know, I was I I was nonstop recreating. Like to me, leadership is a popularity contest. And so, you know, word got I totally- out that I. <laughs> Work got out that like you might, you know, this is a great organization to work for. They've got a leader that's, you know, whatever word they use, genuine, authentic, et cetera. I caught the attention of of executives in those, you know, operating review meetings, those strategic meetings, because I replaced the normal BS with stories and with wearing our reds on the sleeve. I mean, nothing I hate more is, you know, when you come to these meetings and, and, you know, you get all the, everything's green and yellow. It's like, no, there's parts of our business that are red, right? That was part of my authentic nature was yeah, like it was. And so I created this incredible trust with executives because they never were like, what's Aaron hiding? Cause they're not stupid. They know that there's always uh-huh. reds in a business. And so if you don't tell them about the reds, then they're like, not trusting you. Cause they're like, I got to figure out, I got to read between the lines, what the reds mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it helped with negotiations, et cetera. So I agree with you both not doing all that gave me the space to think and connect. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a zero sum game when it comes to your time, especially when you're a leader. But I also, you know, I like I said, I was playing a different game instead of the hustle game and the do nonstop stuff and be that tough leader that sacrifices. I replaced it with a game and a strategy that said, what if I, you know, didn't send on behalf of emails? What if corporate comms, I remember corporate comms one time wrote an org change announcement for me or, or some sort of big announcement because there was this huge company enterprise-wide thing going on and all our corporate comms people were like, writing for all their different business units. And I remember getting it up ready to like review it and redline it and change a few things. And I was like, I, I, I can't even, I can't even redline. It. I don't even know what the frick he's saying. Like I can't send this out to my people. And so, you know, things like that, like I wrote, I wrote most of my communications because I'm like, my team knows if it comes from me or not. And like, if you want them to read it, then you probably should talk like a human and not like mm-hmm. a corporate comms person. So, so anyway, all that to say is, yeah, that different game. And, and I think it's, you know, it is, I don't talk about this a lot. I think it's, it, you know, authentic leadership. The first step is you do trade in the ego a little bit because mm-hmm. it's, it feels so warm and fuzzy once you become an executive or you have that CEO title to, to have oh, it's to start hand. being an ass. The be, well, be an ass or be untouchable or sit yeah, in the exactly. throne yeah. and have, you know, you, you know, only schedule a meeting through my assistant and the on behalf of emails and the, you know, going into the quarterly business reviews with the big words. And like, that feels good short term on your ego. It's like, oof. but long term, it feels a hell of a lot better when you're an authentic leader and you get killer results. And then people are like, oh, you're really the queen, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had to check myself. This is totally a, a kind of a little bit different, but just reminds me of my world when my mom was like, oh my God, you post so many great videos on Facebook. And I was just like, 
oh, well, you know, it's great because I'm not actually doing any of them, right? I'm just like, have my assistant do it. And I felt myself go into this like very <laughs> weird, mucky place. It was like mm -hmm. almost like that was a badge of honor that I wasn't actually doing that, but she thought I was. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And so yeah. actually it was a wake up moment where I was like, okay, well, first of all, I'm probably doing a lot of fluff and things that aren't necessary. And then maybe I should take a look at what I'm doing and actually decide if that's what I want to be doing. And so I had to kind of readjust, but I noticed my ego screaming. That was like the thing that I noticed when I made mm -hmm. this comment, I was like, that's not even me who, yeah. what, that's not a badge of honor in your business. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah, a good, it's a good sign that you're probably going for sort of the short term. Yeah. Adren adrenaline kick. Yes, exactly. But it's not going to last long term. Totally. So, you know, there are two questions I have as a follow up and you can decide which one you want to answer first. One is like, wow, it sounds like you created the dream role for yourself. And then two, okay, so I guess now you teach other people how to do this. So share with us what you may. Well, to create the dream role as CEO as my as my my former corporate days, uh, no, definitely not. In fact, just a little bit for your listeners on on how I got there because I want I'm oh it's always important to me that people feel like they can relate. Like I I was not gunning for a, an executive position, a CEO position. I'm a small town girl from Northern Michigan, but you know a couple of things I think led me there you know, one, I, I didn't always take the short term best job. I always say that getting your next job is like find, buying a house. It's all about location, location, location. I, I firmly subscribe to that. And, you know, what I'll often tell people the chances that the perfect job that gives you the one or two title jumps, it's doing what you want for a company that you believe in is going to be open and ready. The time you're looking for something is like, you know, one in a million. But it's, it, you know, it's just like the house. If you, you know, you want, if you do that, you might buy the house that's got the, the rented kitchen and the really nice open floor plan and the bathrooms are updated, but it's in a shitty neighborhood, you know, an hour drive from work and you're never going to be able to change that. But if, instead, if you think about finding a job where you're like, okay, kitchen needs to be remodeled and there's a few things that aren't good, but it's in a great neighborhood, great location it's a much better option, right? We all know that. And it's the same with jobs. So where can you find a place where maybe you're even taking a step back or it's not the perfect role, but you can remodel yourself into good roles. And that's kind of what I did, especially with the company I ended up being CEO for Payflex. Um, I, I went from managing 40 people to none going into that organization, but I knew it was a macro growing market. We're in the health savings account market um, that was growing tremendously at the time. I knew the leadership because it was recently acquired. There's probably some people that were going to go, right? Like big company by small company. Everybody knows that playbook, small company mm -hmm. leadership, eh, probably not going to stick around forever because they can't, you know, can't stand the, the bureaucracy. So, you know, I think that was number one. I, I got myself in places where I knew that I could remodel, that I could grow, that had a good culture. Um, but the position, I mean, I think this is another interesting part of the journey within that, that for, especially because you're focused on women. Um, I actually got promoted several times and then I got a call one Friday for my boss and he said, you know, this is a little heavy for a Friday, but I've decided to leave. And I actually want to know if I can recommend you as our next COO, as my successor. And Stacy, I paused and replied so quickly and I was like, no, thank you. Mm. And, you know, we had a long conversation. Of course, he's like, think about it over the weekend. And 
you know, of course, what I did do first, I talked to everybody like, what should I do? Because else <laughs> to give you the answer and all the answers are different. But then I realized, you know, finally, when I slowed down, why was I saying no? And I was saying no, because I was worried about have to fit into this corporate mold, this executive mold, because this would be mm-hmm. a jump up into an executive mm-hmm. position. And, you know, like I, I say this in my TED talk, my ego would grow, my calendar would overflow, my home life would become a shit show, and my personality might even start to blow. And I didn't want that, right? I didn't want right. to, to, to be those things. I didn't want divorce or heart attacks or the things that I saw other executives go through. And then I had this epiphany that I, I freaking teach over and over again, mainly because I teach myself over and over again, it hit me. You shouldn't not do something because you hate the way it was done before. Oh, yes. Instead, yes. do it your own way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that that's, that's a, that's a big, you know, lesson for us women. Like we, you know, I talk about this also in my, in my Ted talk and in my keynote, like we, we run this compromise calculation. That's what I did. It's like it, Brandon said that. And like in two seconds, I'm like AI. Compromise calculation. And the compromise calculation says that there's a hard-coded anti-correlated line between your career progression and everything else in your life. So as you get promoted or as you go further, you'll have to sacrifice more of your time with your spouse or with your partner, your kids, maybe Mm -hmm. with your workouts, your health, all these things. And so I quickly thought, okay, yeah, that's a probably more money, more authority, but less of these other things. I'm making okay money right now. I'm kind of in a stress-free role. Like I did the quick calculation. I'm like, it's not worth it. And what I talk about is that, you know, if you decide to, instead of, you know, changing for the job, instead you change the job, you can actually flip that completely. And in fact, you mm-hmm. should like, yeah, as you become a higher leader, mm-hmm. you actually should be working less. You should mm-hmm. be leading more. You should be, yes, you'll have harder decisions, more gravity on some things, but it should actually flip in the other direction. So anyways, and then, and then the next year, um, just to quickly to round out the story, because I think people like stories better than a bunch of BS. So I ended up taking the C- I, you know, I came back on Monday. I was like, screw it, you know, I'm going for it. I'm going to take it. And I did that for about a year. And then I was, these are, these calls are always convenient times. I was, um, I'll never forget. I was in my parents' bedroom. They have a place in Florida in the winter with my family. We were just getting ready to leave for a day at the water park. So I was just getting ready to be totally disconnected. And I got a call from my, my boss, uh, my big, big boy boss at the time. And he basically said, I'm being pulled over to a, you know, huge project and you're going to be interim CEO, but they're posting the position, you know, to make sure there's nobody better, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he said that last thing, but that's, that's how I, right. you know, sort of interpreted it. And, you know, I, at first I was pissed, right? Like they're going to go look for somebody else. And then I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, if they're going to do some thinking, I'm going to do some thinking too. And I also, quite frankly, realized that like if this to get the CEO position, which now I wanted because the hard the jump to COO was the hardest because I had mm-hmm. basically I had to do all the work, but I didn't have all the authority. The CEO did it, so there mm-hmm. were decisions that I wanted to make around finances and people and stuff. So I'm like, oh, it'll be, it should be easier to be CEO because I'll basically have to do the same stuff, but actually have the authority to to make decisions the way I want to. But I realized that if I were to compete in the standard way you compete, like interviews, resumes, like how many times have you, you know, run large organization? Like I wouldn't have won. 
I just, I didn't have that experience. Yeah. Um, but if instead, and I knew like when they're looking for this, I knew it was going to take them like three months, right? I'm no dummy. I'm like, they're not going to. And, and by the way, I remember telling my boss, I'm like, you might want to run by me some people. Cause I know everybody in this industry, I knew <laughs> they were going to go out. I'm like, I sit on boards. Like I know who they are. I know who the schmucks are. I know who the, you know, and quite frankly, I knew that the really good people, they weren't gonna be able to afford. I'm just gonna be honest. So instead I'm like, I'm just going to spend the next three months proving that mm-hmm. I deserve this position and make some major turnarounds. Uh, financially, I got some things really turned around pretty quickly. There's another piece of the story I want to tell the women listening. That's really important because I said, okay, I'm going to just prove it. And that's what we do sometimes. We're like, roll up our sleeves. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just going to work really hard, which I think we've learned that lesson. This wasn't just about yeah. working hard, right? I was going to put my my authentic leadership to work, even though I didn't know that's what it was. But here's one of the biggest things that happened that was so small, but I think so impactful. So a couple of weeks or so into this interim status, I was walking back from the cafeteria. It was in the huge headquarters of our parent company, Aetna. And I ran into this woman, her name's Chowie Gibson. And she had been at the company for many years, really respected her. And she stopped me and she said, you know, congratulations. You know, they had announced my interim CEO status. And she said, do you want the job? And I looked at her and I said, yeah, yeah, I do want the job. And she just looks at me and she's like, tell your boss you want the job. And ah, it was so important because first of all, my boss at the time was pretty intimidating to be honest. And I think as women too, we think that our hard work or doing the things is going to be that indicate that people can read our minds. And instead at my next one-on-one, I remember at some point I said, you know, and by the way, I do really want this job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for a couple of reasons. One, the clarity, the obvious one. Mm-hmm. But the second reason, you know, is executives are looking for big time executives part of what they're looking for that they don't always consciously know is they're looking for somebody with some cojones, right? With somebody with Mm -hmm. some guts, you know, this person running this company is going to be in tough situations with very large customers and negotiating Mm -hmm. things. And I think we don't often demonstrate that toughness. You know, for example, say you want the job. uh, I think another place is negotiating for for pay. You Mm -hmm. so many times women will think, you know, I don't want to be greedy or I don't want to do that. And what they don't realize is even though that hiring executive or whatever on the surface might be pissed that they might have to pay you more subconsciously, or maybe consciously they'll come around and realize, but I, that's, I also want somebody that's going to have the cojones to negotiate because this isn't the only negotiation. Right. If you're an executive, you're negotiating something, right. Contracts and, and things like that. So, so that was, that was a really important lesson. And then when I took the CEO, so I ended up kicking ass. They ended up, you know, they were basically like, yes, this is yours. People thought I was crazy for taking it because the company had been acquired about four years earlier. And it was a classic sort of integration gone bad. Not enough money and investment was given to this company that the parent had acquired. And so there were a lot of operational issues, reputation issues. Financially, we were flat for years. And so and we and we had a bad reputation, most importantly internally, because we had a lot of joint customers. So it was just it was an icky place. Like everybody was mad at us because we were screwing things up for their client. And so people actually were like, "Are you serious? Like you're going to take this job?" 
And what's crazy is like less than three years later, we were the golden childs of the company. We were the golden childs of the company. It was crazy. I remember sitting in one quarterly business review, probably a financial review meeting with our our CFO, the parent company. Mm-hmm. And he he had only he had come from from a, a competitor. He'd only been with a company maybe, you know, less than a year. So he kind of didn't know the history of how much we were like not the golden child. And he's like, well, you got to do something more like PayFlex and da, 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 da. And I just sat there and you know how sometimes you have those moments where you like float out of your body and you're like, is this really happening? Like, does he realize how like crazy it is that, you know, we're now kind of poster child around how we're growing our company, our employee engagement, et cetera. Long-winded answer. It was not a dream job to start. <laughs> of course, when I went, to, when I announced my retirement, everybody wanted to be my successor, right? I'm like, oh, sure. Now you do. But this is amazing. I am just like listening. I I love everything that you shared. It's a, it's a step-by-step playbook on, (laughs) you know, everything that I teach every, you know, that things and creating and paving your own path. And that's why I was really curious about, because I know the end of the story, which is that you left, you retired, Mm -hmm. you didn't retire at age 65, you retired early, you retired by choice. Right. And so knowing that end of the story, that's why I was like, wait, you're not convincing me that you had this (laughs) crappy job. Like so many leaders that I meet who left, they're always leaving from a place of disgust from running away from like, I can't take this anymore. And what you did, and now I want to hear the second half is the choice to retire. It sounds like you basically like proved to yourself and everybody else like, Hey, I can do this in an authentic way. I can create this. I can create my own role. And not only that, but I have to, right. That's, that's the only choice I have. So then what? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So sit back for, for more stories because what you and the listeners might think is, Oh, you know, while I'm running around leading this company and turning around, I had this epiphany that authenticity is everything. And I went and became a speaker and that's not what happened. And part of it goes back to space and how important that is. But it, what drove me to retire. So I have this thing that I had learned about myself about every three or four years, I get an itch. And at first it used to piss me off because I was like, why, why are you itching for something new? When like, you're now the go-to person, you can read an email in a hot second, you know what to do. Like life should be easy. And, but what I realized about myself, I would also at the same time, I would start to feel lazy and uninspired. And I basically realized, and I am not alone. I'm guessing 90 plus percent of your listeners go, oh my God, that's me. I realized that I am at my best self when I have an exponential challenge, when I have mm-hmm. something that's new, right. And, and challenging, even though logic says, why would you want to do that to yourself once you've kind of figured out the role? So that I had sort of learned that. And so the, I was starting to get that itch again. And I remember sitting in, um, so one of my big sponsors was Karen Lynch, who's now the CEO of CBS health. I remember going to her big fancy office and just to do kind of a one-on-one and I wasn't going to necessarily bring up the itch because we were going through the whole CVS acquisition. I'm like, it's a really heavy time. Like she doesn't have time for this crap, but she read me like, as soon as I walked in, she's like, Hey, you've been there for about three years. Are you, you know, are you thinking about something new? And I was like, oh, okay. Nice. So brought it up. And what happened from there is almost like if, if you go to a restaurant and you look at a menu, if you're like me, you sort of 
kind of try on the meals to figure out what you like kind of pretend taste them like, Oh, do I feel like quesadillas? No, I don't feel like, do I feel like a burger? No. And she was throwing out like a bunch of different ideas. And I was like, Oh my God. And I remember having to change my response every time. Cause I didn't want to be like, no, no. So I was like, what I like about that is this, but what I don't like, it was, you know, like nothing tasted good. And I kind of felt like, so there's a bunch of conversion thing. One, I felt like I wasn't gonna be able to scratch that itch. Like, yes, I could go be a, a, you know, a bigger business unit or, you know, take on something else, but the playbook isn't radically different, right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and how you lead and, and manage. So I kind of felt like I'd done that. I also, I also hate doing things normal. And I'd always told my husband, I never took a break when I was um, having children. I have two children, you know, they at 16 weeks went to daycare and are thriving and doing great. But I, you know, I never stayed at home or worked part-time, but I always said like maybe a mid-career break, quote unquote, you know, when they get to the age of, you know, teenagers and need more support mentally and physically running them around and So there was a little bit of that, like a little time with the kids, which by the way, was the memo my husband got. He thought I was like retiring to like take a break, but he quickly, (laughs) he quickly learned that wasn't the case by hearing me talk to friends at a pool party or something, you know, great communication. Um, And I also, I just knew that I had been 22 years there and that every year that I didn't break free and go do something new, it would be harder. And, and so the buckets that, that I was thinking about were actually, there were several of them. One was going, you know, I was courting, you know, a lot of uh, executive recruiters looking at me for like CEO of more of a healthcare startup, uh, something a little bit different in the, you know, sort of VC backed. So that would be very new for me, fundraising and stuff. So I was having those conversations. I had an app idea. I actually started, it was called Braid. And it was an app that helped you manage all your kids' activities, especially when they're in elementary school and you get like a thousand papers and you're like, I don't know when I'm supposed to bring in the Jello mold versus like the concert. And so I had this whole app idea, which I sort of started. And then I, I had thought about, you know, I thought about career and leadership space, but honestly, I was like, oh, there's a, that's like a dime a dozen. There's a bazillion people out there. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go do that. And <laughs> and obviously you're in this space too, and you don't do it normal, but that, that was kind of my thought process, right? Like, I just don't like doing normal. And so there was like this kryptonite and in one of the interesting parts, so I was starting to think about it in my head, things weren't tasting good. And I went on a business trip and I sat next to this woman on the plane I'll never forget it. And she, uh, I started talking to her and she had done about 10 years in corporate and then left and started her own kind of HR outsourcing business, small, small business, but here in Connecticut. And, you know, I just was asking her a million questions. She seemed so happy and I was peppering her, peppering her, peppering her. And then I stopped and I was like, I'm sorry, I keep asking you all these questions, you know, and these are, you know, the best therapists, right? The good old mm-hmm. plain people where you're like, yeah, yeah. It, it was the first time I had said it out loud, but I'm like, I can say it to her. She doesn't know me from like, I, I said, well, the reason I'm asking is, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my job and going to do something, you know, maybe entrepreneurial or different like that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, Stacy, I literally, then I, I like, I heard it and I was like, and I said to her, I'm like, but that would be really stupid right now because my reputation's at an all-time high. Like I could kind of name my next job, it, you know, if you will, maybe not completely. I don't want to sound pretentious, but like things were going really well to your point. I wasn't unhappy at all. And she just stopped me and she said so succinctly and matter-of-factly, she just looks at me and goes, who says this is the top? And 
as soon as she said that, the metaphor just sprang to life for me. I could see the mountains I hadn't climbed. I see the pathways that I was curious, like what, you know, what would the flowers look like? And it really, really changed me. And so then before I left, I started working on braid and I, and I did like the business case. I have mm-hmm. great logo. <laughs> and then I was meeting with some, some guys in the tech space and they're like, okay, next step is just to start building prototypes. And I was like, oh crap. Like, I don't like to build stuff. Like I like to create, but creating mm-hmm. and building are two totally different things. And while I was sort of working on braid, I just started blogging and, and not even publicly quite yet. I sat at my son's, um, he plays hockey. And so I'd sit mm-hmm. up in the cold ass rank, you know, in the awful bleachers, the unergonomic bleachers, but I'd have like an hour and 15 minutes as practice. And um, I started a document and I'm not a writer. Like I was a math major. Like I don't consider myself a writer, but before you know it, I had 37 pages of like draft blogs. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I might have, I might have a few things to say about some things. <laughs> and um, and so I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just I'll blog these like thoughts and ideas. I'll also blog my journey of transitioning from corporate to entrepreneur. And then it kind of, I, I don't know how it all formed together, but I, 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 you know, I started to realize one, that lesson again, you shouldn't not do something because you hate the way it was done before. Instead, do it your own way. Mm-hmm. I also started to realize like that there is a box around this career and leadership and that you could, a lot of people I knew were sort of your traditional corporate trainers. They come in mm-hmm. leadership, this yeah. whole personal branding space where you can keynote speak and you can write, like, I didn't know this was a thing, which is crazy, yeah. right? At 44 mm-hmm. years old, it's amazing that we're still learning about professions, you know, I kind of finally had had this epiphany that I think it all kind of came together. Also realizing that this authenticity thing, like I said, at the very beginning, it's tangible, it's mm-hmm. purposeful. It's not fluffy unicorn doo-doo that just gave myself permission to come mm-hmm. to work. Like I would my mm-hmm. friend's pool party. Like it was actually something more tangible. And so then at some point, I don't know. I I was like, screw it. I, you know, I'm I'm starting this company, Be Authentic Inc. I have no idea what the hell I'm going to be doing. I don't know what the business model, but when I realized, I think that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, when I realized that the thing that both gave me permission to say yes and to not sacrifice, you know, my marriage and my kids and stuff was also the same exact thing that drove my business success. And was the thing I knew was missing from so many people, like from a macro perspective, right. it wasn't like, oh yeah, that's everybody else. Like that it was literally the antichrist of so many ways, you know, the way that most people handle those positions, you know, all of that. I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I pretty much need to go. This is it. Whatever yeah. This is. And it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, from an existential point of view, as you were talking with the, cause I've, I've been working on this a lot because I realized the, the part of me really wanted my business to get easier at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Like that there was this little voice inside my head that I would figure this out or, you know, sales, marketing, whatever, like you said, you know, in the beginning, you have this really great idea and it's also clear, right? You're like, oh, the thing that got me success will bring me more success. And it's like, oh, and that's how my business has been. It was very, very clear. And so I thought, oh, I just do these things and then then I'll figure it out. Like I've already figured it out. And then you run into it another hurdle and another hurdle and again, it's just hard. And and then you kind of have to pivot and then you change again and, you know, right. All the things. And as you were talking, I just, I just love your story so much. And I'm so glad that you've shared it with us in such detail because 
we could listen to Aaron's story as like the goal, but it's not. It was like a piece of her life. It's just her life. And so we could say, oh, we're stuck in this role and, you know, it's the culture and it's my boss and it's this thing that's happening to me. And so, you know, if only I could be authentic and if only I, and then she's like, oh, well, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to try it. And then she's authentic. And then she gets to a point where it's like, oh, well, what's next? What else can I have? What other mountain can I climb? And I think, and this is just like, also me talking to myself is like, (laughs) oh, we're playing I guess the theme of today is the wrong game. We're mm. playing the, a different game. And the game is that we're not looking for the grass to be greener ever. We're never looking for that. And yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. beautiful. And um, I love that yeah. too, because that's, that's the power of stories too. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm indulgent and tell these. And this is why I also, it's part of my framework that I teach people, the humans framework to strategic authenticity. And as for narrated stories, but like you just demonstrated what I love so much about stories. And I tell people all the time, tell the stories because they're not listening to the literal story. They come and there's, there's research and science mm-hmm. that shows that people come in and out of your story in their own journey, right. in their own way. Like you said, it's not the, it's not listening to my story to find out the A to the B to the C. It's really the A.1 and the A.2. And, and you can jump on those those threads in a way that might even be 90 degree turn. So there's the lesson within the lesson too. One, yeah. of the, one of the ways that you can be more authentic, purposely, strategically at work as a leader or as, you know, in any role is to replace, you know, the facts with the stories because people aren't, you know, and they're always worried it's going to take up too much time. No, people, people don't care if you like take up too much of the time. They care if you waste it. But if mm-hmm. you, but if you tell that story, you know, people jump on the journey kind of like you did and, t- and take their own interpretation and their own direction. And I don't give two shits where you took my stories, <laughs> yeah. whether it's you or other listeners, like take the stories wherever you need to take them today. Mm, so good. So that answers my second question, which is now how you help other leaders find their authenticity and mm-hmm. your book, You Do You-ish. I would love to hear more about the work that you do and how you teach this. That's one example through storytelling. What else do you do? When I realized that it was purposeful, I really sat down and it was through the process of writing my book. You And it's called You Do You-ish because I, I really hammer to people. Authenticity is not the same as be yourself. Sorry. Mm. Spoiler alert. They're mm. not synonymous. It's not the same as transparency. Mm-hmm. You know, authenticity is not just, you know, coming into work and being like, oh, guys, I had a nightmare last night that, you know, our systems oh. collapsed and I'm worried that's going to come true because we haven't invested in like, no, like we learned from, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank, quote unquote, transparency that that CEO gave that turned into a run on a bank that that transparent, full transparency is not always good. And it's not the same. Um, authenticity's root word is authenticos. And it means to be genuine, but it also means to be original and authoritative. And so anyway, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time sort of reflecting and doing research and, and, and came up with what I call the six principles of strategic authenticity, which is humans is the acronym stands for humility being unexpected, modeling, adapting, narrating, and spark. And what I've found, because I've been doing this for, well, I've had humans for three years. I've been in business for four, but you know, I've been out doing workshops and 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 keynote speaking. 
people need that tangibility. Like I always say, I am not some walking fluffy Forbes article that says you need to be more of an authentic leader by being caring, <laughs> humble. And, and then you like get done reading it. All you can think is, A, I wish my boss read this and B, this does like takes no action. So I'm really, really passionate about the actions that I put mm-hmm. behind and help the exercises that we do. We do intriguing intros and we, you know, I've got all these different sort of exercises that don't tell you how to be authentic because that would be bullshit. Like that would be hypocritical, but it gives you the training wheels to reverse the cycle. What I like to say is like in the corporate world, especially there is like this current, right? There's this current that takes us down the like, here's how we're supposed to do things. And here are the buzzwords. And here's our LinkedIn profile supposed to say exceptional. And we're supposed to be honored. And when I do a meeting, I got to have a dashboard and I got to have a committee, like this current. And so what humans does is just gives you some, you know, some, some lifelines to, to, fight against that current and to do things a little bit different, a little bit authentically. And then like with stories, however you take the H-U-M-A-N-S and make it your own, great. So, and how do I do that? I mean, keynote speaking is is my number one. I, it's super cheesy. I, I, that's where I'm meant to be. I, I love, I am like an extrovert to the nth degree. So when I come on a stage, I literally, I've warned some audiences, like I will suck the energy right out of you and give it right back. Like I, um, I really thrive in not just lighting people up, but entertaining and giving them something that fundamentally changes their life. Like the minute they go and, and, and so I do that through keynote speaking. And then I also do keynote, I do um, workshops. So several companies I've been hired under DEI context. I've been hired under leadership context where we spend some more time because as you know, change the most, you know, the best change doesn't come from you know, a 60 minute shot in the arm. And so we spend more time where we have more time to talk about it. We, I have a, a, you know, an exercise and curriculum behind each of the humans and it's, it, it's the best freaking way to change your culture. I am convinced of it. Cause you know why it's not noble work. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's different. You have to be a little bit brave because mm-hmm. you're going to be doing things differently, but it's fun. So I do, I do a lot of the corporate workshops, a lot of those virtually, and then I do business coaching. So I mostly work with CEOs and presidents that were me, you know, they run mm-hmm. companies 200 to a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. And like you, right, it's really in those moments. And in that coaching, it's not like I sit down and be like, okay, today we're going to work on humans, you know, or we're going to work on mm-hmm. humility. It's it's really that real time, like, hey, I've got a board meeting, I'm going to present, you know, they'll kind of tell me what they're thinking or draft. And I'll be like, what if you did this? Or what if, you, you know, We'll just mm-hmm. make a few tweaks that mm-hmm. are under the guise of authenticity that make a huge difference and just oh, you know, yeah. act as their sidekick there, you know, when they're making mm-hmm. tough decisions and and talk them through that. So all three of those things I freaking love. And, and then I'm working on, yeah, you do, you wish I'm super, super proud of because uh, people love it. I mean, they just, they, it's yeah. fun. It's just fun it's to read. Great. It's, you know, it's a lot of stories, a lot of humor. There's some, definitely some barnyard language, but it's actionable. Uh, so that excited me enough. I'm working on book number two. It's called the 50% rule, which is, Ooh. I kind of describe it like it's a kind of an authenticity hack. It's a rule that I just organically started using for myself. And then every time I talk to somebody, I 50% of the time, I'd be like, you should use a 50% rule. And they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, let me tell you. I'm like, oh my God, that helps. And um, it's sort of like 
Uh, did you take math? Did you take calculus at all? No, I didn't actually. You're like, my no. husband still gets on me about that. <laughs> okay. Well, even if you did, you'd probably forget. But for listeners that took calculus, for me, I, yeah, I was a math major, but I, I'll never forget the day. What happens when you take calculus is the first like month, you learn like these super mind bedding, bending, like calculations and formulas and ways to find the tangent to a line or to a equation. Okay. So you're like, you're just like, holy crap, this is rocket science. And then about a month in your professor walks in and this is what happened to me. It felt my interpretation, very nonchalant, sort of like, Hey, you know, so today, you know, no big deal, but I'm going to show you this little shortcut, you know, all the stuff you've been doing for the last month. And they they literally show you that you everything you've been doing for a month, if you also look at an equation, if you take the exponent, exponent, multiply that by the first number. So let's say it's 2x to the third. Mm-hmm. If you take the three, you multiply by the two. So now you have 6x and then you subtract one. So you make it to the squared instead of the third. Six is the answer. And you're like, <gasps> mother Hubbard, <laughs> you kidding me for the last month? I've been doing these calculations and like, and and of course you never noticed the pattern that it was just, yeah. And so that's kind of the 50% rule for me. It's like this little like aha hack that, that helps people really, I mean, the basic rule is every time you learn something new, including listening to this podcast, only take about 50% of it. Mm -hmm. The other 50% you would need to curate with your own ideas, something you heard on another podcast, your own thoughts, like you were doing when I was going through my story. And it sounds so stupid, simple, but I've got a team now of about Mm -hmm. 70, 80 people that are helping me kind of, as we shape the book. And once you hear the 50% rule, you're like, oh yeah, I do that every day. I do that with my, and then, and then you'll realize you don't. Yeah. You know, you'll go like, for me, I use it all the time. And then I had this back issue and I would go to the chiropractor and then I would listen to everything he said. And then I would go to physical therapy and they hate each other. Not personally, but mm-hmm. like the two right. professions are like, yeah. and, and they were like, no, that's, you know, that's just, you know, all you're doing is curing it for a little bit. You need to solve the underlying issue. PT would be, mm-hmm. and I would ping pong back and forth. And then one day I was like, you dumbass, like 50% rule it. Like take half of what <laughs> the chiropractor, <laughs> some of the things are working. And by the way, some of the things are working from PT and curious. So it's oh, so good. Stupid, simple Woo. rule that once once you see it and use it, you can't unsee it and unuse it. And I'm I'm excited about the book. I have tons of stories about all kinds of famous people and non-famous people, and people on my team are going to be part of the book. And mm. um, so anyway, so that good. was a long-winded answer. That's that's what I'm. I want to leave us that's with another story. So as you were talking, because of course, I I I think. I, I will say, I think I do 50% naturally. And then also I'm not going to totally claim that because now I'm going to investigate where I don't do it. Um, mm. But as you were talking, once again, I went into my own story and I was like, oh, what did, what did little Aaron do as you do you, right? Where was that little inkling of the woman who was like, nope, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to figure things out. I'm I, you know, doing the 50% rule all along. I would love yeah. to hear anything that comes to mind as little Aaron. Well, I'm so glad you asked this now and not six months ago, because this is a kind of epiphany as I was writing the second book, 50% rule with, with you do you wish the biggest epiphany I learned was I learned this from my father. Like why, why did I, and I watched my father as a teacher and then as a real estate agent use authenticity really as his secret mm-hmm. weapon to success. 
But as I was writing 50% rule, you know, that's what I love about writing books. You think that you know them right, but you you only know about 50%. And then you start writing and you're like, no shit, I didn't know that, right? Because you have time to have space and you have to slow down. You only can type so fast. What I realized is little Aaron is always hated competing on the normal, Mm -hmm. you know, competing on the usual and that it's easier to compete on the unusual, meaning, for example, I ran hurdles in high school. You can't see me sitting here, but I'm five foot two and a half. I should not have run hurdles. Like that is not a natural fit for my, you know, my stature. And, I, and people would ask me, oh, that's pretty brave. Why do you do it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's challenging or whatever. And then I realized it's all part of the same personal pattern that um, I ran hurdles because less people ran hurdles. I was like, I'm not the fastest person. Let me go run. Let me run the, not the hundred meter dash. That's where all the freaking fast people go. I'm going to you know do that. And you know, I realized, I mean, I went to, I, I graduated second in my class uh, in high school, which sounds super fancy, but I, there was like 87 people in my class, but I was salutatorian. I'm not saying I could go anywhere, but I went to Western Michigan University. Now it's a great school. It's about 35,000 people. I wouldn't change it for the world, but it's not the most prestigious school. You know why I went there? Because most people I knew were going to Michigan State. And I was like, I oh, know I want to like, I don't. I'd. So I think for me, you know, whether it's because it's easier to compete like the hurdles or I, I think it's easier to stand out or it's just not as fun. I don't know. I think, you know, I need a therapist probably to to unwrap this one a little bit more, but that is part of what I talk about with the 50% rule, even more than in you do you-ish is that when you start to do that, you, you basically all this. I, so I call the disease that I'm trying to solve is sleep running syndrome. We're all kind of like running so fast at information that's told to us that Google tells us that online courses that mentors mm-hmm. and we're running, but we're kind of sleeping and we're just like soaking it all in and feeling like we have to do it. And then what happens is, you know, we don't realize we're doing it, but we have things like comparison cramps come up and copying calluses. And I talk mm-hmm. about, you know, finish fatigue and all these like, you know, of course, fun little, uh, you know, alliterative things, but real things, right? We compare ourselves and can't get things done. And we feel like paralysis sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, which I did as a little kid, and that I'm now bringing a lot into the 50% rules, if, if you just play a different game, if you 50% rule it, like that, a lot of that stuff becomes obsolete. Like, how can you compare right. yourself when you're only doing 50% of what, you know, somebody else is doing? It's just, it's not possible. So it just, it changes, it changes the game externally, but it changes the game internally as well. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, I, for some reason I've, I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. So good. All right. As we wrap up today, I know we've talked about so much, but I want to see if you have any final words in there for a woman who's looking to advance in her career, is looking to kind of make that transition into executive leadership. What any final words of advice for her would you have? Yeah. I mean, I would say using authenticity uh, and I, and I'll, I, and I have a freebie that I can give people to like say, okay, what the yeah. frick does that mean? Uh, I have like a, a 10 step, you know, options, but it's going to feel weird at first. So you might listen to this and be like, hell's to the yeah. And then, you know, you get into the interview or the meeting or the whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to be not a weirdo, but it's different. It's going against the grain. And what I, what I would tell you is that there is going to be a period of time where you have to put the toes out over the ledge and it might feel a bit different. You might be, you know, your ego might hurt all those things that we kind of talked about. 
but you're going to get results and you want to start observing those like little ones and bigger ones. And this is what happened to me when I was becoming CEO. Like I was getting these little results and guess what? The executives above you that are making these decisions don't give two shits about what you do other than making sure it's, you know, legal, compliant, ethical, if you're getting results. Mm -hmm. And so as you think about maybe being more authentic to get there, know there'll be a period of transition time where either you'll get external thoughts, but most of it'll be just perception internally that you Mm -hmm. think people are thinking. But as soon as you start to get those results, A, not only are they not going to care if you're sort of unorthodox, Mm -hmm. B, they're going to start to emulate you. Because mm-hmm. this the authenticity is not inspired in a one-way street. It is, it's mm-hmm. a circular reference. And so get through that period. It's almost like a detox period. Get through that yep. period. Um, start to get the results. And then, and then, like I always tell people, I don't change people. I change their addiction. So just get addicted to the results, the feedback, the smiles, the attention, the whatever it is by being more authentic. And then just keep feeding that addiction. So good. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. And you mentioned the free offer. We'll link to that in the show notes and any other ways that people can connect with you. Yeah. I would just say LinkedIn is where I'm most active. If you want to talk to me realish time and then yeah, check out the authenticity playbook. I'll send you the link for that, but um, I'd love to connect in any way. All right. Sounds great. Thank you again. You're welcome. go, I have a question for you. Do you know how close you are to your next promotion? Really? Not what your boss has told you, not what you even believe to be true, but have you actually taken the time to sit down, take an assessment, review the five categories that it takes to get promoted into senior executive leadership positions and decided where you fall in each category and given yourself a ranking on a scale of one to 10 of how close you are to getting your next promotion? Have you done this? Well, now's your chance. If that feels interesting to you and you're like, hey, I want to know exactly how close I might actually be or how far away you might be and what it's going to take to get you even closer, then I invite you to take my promotability quiz. This is a quiz that I put together with practical tips that actually tell you where you're lacking and where you're winning. What are the areas that you actually need to improve and not necessarily what your boss is telling you all the time so that you can take concrete steps towards landing that next promotion and changing the face of the leadership table. Go to yourpromotabilityscore.com to take your free assessment today, yourpromotabilityscore.com, and let me know how it goes.